This is the Tabernacle Podcast with John Vermilia and me, Britton Bishop. What's up, John? What's up is you're in for a treat today, sir. I'm excited. I've read the history books. Oh, you've read the history books. <laughs> you've read the history books. I gave you a little crash course in the history books just a little bit. Just a little bit in the pre-show. But we have an OG member of the Tabernacle. If you're not hip with the kids, that means an original gangsta. <laughs> I don't know if he's a gangster or not, but yeah. We have Larry Cade. Larry Cade, uh, welcome to the Tabernacle Podcast. We're so fired up to have you. Sorry, we were supposed to do this months ago, but your schedule than our schedule, but here you are. Welcome. Thank you. So Thanks Larry, for having me. I got a question for you. So this yes. is what we consider the Dungeon Podcast Room now. What do you remember this room being? <laughs> With the Do you have any memories of this room? It was a piece of uh, children's church okay. room uh, <laughs> back in the 70s, Probably, 80s, yeah, 90s. 70s and 80s, yeah. I, th- I think at one point they actually called this the racetrack room. I don't know okay. why. I think it might have been a boys well, there's, Sunday school class or something. I think there's a checkered flag behind our moving blanket somewhere. Oh, yeah. So we have to have these in here to kill the sound, and it gives it that vibe that we're in the dungeon, we're in the <laughs> depths, or whatever. Love it. But let me give just a little bit of an introduction to Larry Cade for those people that may not know him. Uh, if you attend our Buckley campus, uh, you see him quite often as an usher, or you see him with his lovely wife, Jackie, attending. He's a member. He's been a member longer, I think, than I've been alive. Not quite. Longer than you've been alive, he's been a member. But uh, uh, he'll, he'll have met you at the front door, usually with a big handshake or a big hug. Uh, but Larry and Jackie uh, began coming to this church somewhere around 42, 43 years ago. It was like mm-hmm. 1979, 1980. Uh, they have three adult children um, who all grew up in this church. In fact, I, I was just thinking during the little intro, I did one of your children's weddings, man. Mm-hmm. But you were a friend of my wife's family uh, before um, I ever met you, close, close friends. And now I consider you guys close friends as well. Um, you and your wife have both served on the board at the Tabernacle. You've been here during good times. You've been here through bad times when uh, the church was almost 20. Um, and you live to see kind of a revival within our church and uh, our growth and our expansion. And one of the things that I love about Jackie and Larry is despite all of the changes, they're part of that old school set that all they did was cheer us on. They probably wasn't always the music they were used to or the paint scheme or, you know, the fact that student ministries guys roll, rolling around here today in short pants. But what <laughs> I'm just kidding. He didn't care about short pants. But you, you stuck through the changes. You celebrated them. And, you know, you've lived to see what God has done through this long obedience, 40 plus years. So, yeah, that's Larry Cade. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. Uh, we're going to jump into, for the listeners out there, we're just going to do, uh, I think, what we've come to learn is a crowd favorite, uh, listener favorite segment, which is our change life stories, um, because there is a lot of years um, of following Jesus on the other side of the table that I know as the 26 year old that's sitting in the room. I just want to I just want to learn because I, I've heard a little bit of your story and I know that there's been good times. There's been bad times. There's been um, times that clearly God is moving and there's been those times of man, is God even here? And so I think from my perspective, I would love just to be able to sit and uh, and listen to you tell those stories. So thanks for joining us today. And uh, yeah, we'll jump in to Larry Cade's changed life story. So um, usually the way we start this out is uh, we ask people kind of what was, where were you born? What was growing up? Kind of what was that like? Where you, did you raise in a Christian home? What was that whole process? All right. Um, I was born down in Jackson, 
Uh, we moved away from there after a few years. My my dad, uh, my folks had a farm. Uh, my dad drove truck uh, and run the farm, and and uh, then we moved again, and where he was just driving truck, moved down to Plainwall, and uh, nothing special really happened all the way through that. A couple more moves and ended up. Uh, I was going to Otsego High School and. Uh, 15 years old and probably the first major event in my life. Uh, my brother, which was 19, uh, turned 20 uh, a day or so after he died from a car accident. Um, they were drinking. Um, nobody can really say who was driving because the other guy was crippled and and uh, for life, and my brother laid in the hospital for 30 days. It was about my size. Uh, 30 days later, he was about 120 pounds. And, wow. And it wasn't, you know, he never did come to. Um, I, uh, in that time period, I I prayed to God every day. that he would take my life. And 15-year-old punk kid didn't have nothing going mm. on in life, you know. Take mine. Uh, my brother Jim, you know, at 15, there's a lot of things that you think is a uh, high priority. I mean, <laughs> he's got a car, he's got a uh, girlfriend, he's got a good job, he's graduated, he's, you know, everything's kind of seemed like it's headed all in the right direction. And and you kind of idolized him, right? He did. Uh, there was, I'm the youngest of four boys and, and he was the next oldest. And, mm. and, uh, my other two brothers were enough older that, you know, they were into doing things and had their own lives to live. And, and so he was the only one that I was really close with as far as day-to-day uh, -to -day type stuff. Yeah. and But God chose to not do what I told him to, <laughs> you know, and I didn't realize that that was the case at the time. I was praying, but I was praying that, you know, do what I'm wanting mm. you to do here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't happen. And, and, uh, I remember a couple other little things with that, that uh, the day of the funeral that my mom says to me, says, you know, we we think we've got it bad, you know, so you don't have to look too far, and there's other people that's got it worse than we do. And she threw a, a newspaper down, and here's a, a family of four, the mother, the father, and one of the kids all died in a car accident. Hmm. Left one 10-year-old girl to fend for herself. You know, I mean, and, and to think about what that must be like to lose everybody. Hmm. You know, 
and my mom was always trying to find to take the focus off of us, you right. know, and right, and uh, you know, she'd have sayings like, "Well, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at oh, all." Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> she had all the cliches. Was was uh, faith a part of your life before then? Like, did you go to church as a family or anything like that? Uh, somewhat. Um, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like being there. I didn't like, you know, just wasn't something I enjoyed. Right. Um, it ended up that, uh, I had this false sense of Christianity, you know, that, uh, um, I must be a Christian because I'm not an atheist. Oh, mm. gotcha. So, I mean, you either, yeah. you either believe in him or you don't. So mm-hmm. that must mean you're a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and didn't know any better. Didn't, mm. didn't, uh, but I carried that right along even to the point that when I went in the army, they'd say, okay, you know, you have a faith or what have you. So, you got to check yeah. a box, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so uh, little so, did I really understand the true meaning of being a Christian. Right. Yeah. So your brother, 30 days, he's hanging on, he's wasting away. Uh, because you said you're about your size. What are you, 6'4"? 6'3". 6'3". What I would say a burly man. Oh, yeah. The man's got some. Absolutely. Yeah, the man could handle himself, <laughs> right? And that's so hard for you. And, and, and what you shared with me just a couple months ago, because it was the first time I heard this story just a couple months ago, you said that um, that really impacted your view of God. It did. It impacted me. Well, let me go just a little bit further down sure. the road. Yeah. A year and a half later, my next oldest brother, Dale, uh, his life, his wife uh, was killed by a drunk driver coming from Grand Rapids, going down to Kalamazoo on the wrong side of the expressway, had made a bet in the bar that he could make it. And they come around the corner, and she was passing a truck, and the next thing you know, that was it was a closed casket deal. It was not good. So I, um, I wasn't over the whole issue with my brother by mm. no means. Mm. Uh, you know, as you can tell by my my voice here, it is, you know, 60-some years later, and it's still, yeah. it, it, you know, you think time just solves that problem, but it, uh, the pain, hmm. you know, is still in there somewhere. Yeah, because that, I mean, that, all of that mm-hmm. unfolds before you're 18, Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's got to yeah, be. I was like 16 and a half, seven, wasn't even 17 yet when... My uh, brother's wife was killed, and at my brother's funeral, people would come up and say, oh, you know, sorry, I know how you feel, and it was like, yeah, right, you don't have a clue Mm. how I feel, you know, almost ticked me off that they would think that they know how I feel, and and, uh, so I ended up. I ended up ticked off for a long time. I I came away from the funeral and said, okay, you know, my brother was 20 years old when he died. They're going to put on my tombstone that he lived a whole lifetime 
by the time I'm 20. Mm. Oh, wow. Whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to experience everything, and I don't care about nothing, mm. nobody, no how. I'm, I'm full speed ahead, and I don't care what it is, you know. And if I only make it to 20, you say, well, you know, I lived a lot in that 20 years, and, and, uh, and I turned my back on anything to do with God, you know, just like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and think what you want, whatever. Mm. And, uh, and thankfully he didn't turn his back on me. Mm. Uh, I probably would have several times, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but at at 15, 16 years old, very impressionable type age anyway. So, um, you just, you can't reason, you can't, you can't do anything with it really in common sense type (laughs) thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh. So how many times did you nearly die between that and age 20? Um. Because I can see the look in your eye and I know you well enough to know when you say you're going to do something, it's going to happen. Well, I, I was probably by the time I was, uh, by the time I was 17, I was an alcoholic. And, uh, I, I hung out with a terrible crowd. I mean, absolutely terrible. Um, some of those guys that I hung out with, uh, within a couple years were in Jackson in prison for rape. Mm. Uh, some of them were in the local, uh, sheriff's jailhouse, you know, for thieving, stealing, fighting. Uh, one of them was shot uh, by a policeman in Kalamazoo stealing a motorcycle at 3 o'clock in the morning out of somebody's backyard. And, and uh, yeah, they're just, just a crowd that you would not ever want to be involved with. And how I didn't end up in that, in a Mm. deeper mess than I was. Uh, uh, Probably a miracle, you know, God was still trying to look out after me. And and, uh, even though I was, you know, not doing anything for him. Right. Right. So what was next? Was was it the Army, or were you working for your dad, or kind of where were you at at this point? Um. No, my dad drove a truck on the road, so he was, you know, he was gone from Sunday night till Saturday morning or Friday night. Uh, oh, so that that even contributes there. There's no that, dad around. It's just you and mom. That opened the door for a lot more problems. Mm. Um, you know, I had a job long as I can remember, I was working in, in when I got 16, when I had a car and I worked at different gas stations, which the gas stations back then were service yeah. shops that yeah. sold gas. They, Somebody actually came out and bumped your gas. Yeah. yeah. But you, you quit working on the guy's brakes or tune up or mm-hmm. exhaust system to go out and pump the gas. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you pump your gas and go in and pay the mm-hmm. person behind right. the counter or get some groceries at the same time. 
Yeah. So I, uh, I was working in that environment and, and I ended up probably because of my size, I was, uh, I'd always kind of hung out with guys older than me. Mm. Uh, I can remember like in fourth, fifth grade, you know, there'd be kids that wanted to go play cowboys and Indians and, and I'm saying, Hey, look at those girls over there that are in sixth grade. Yeah. <laughs> those are some cuties over there. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and so the next thing you know, I'm hanging out with the guys that were two and three years older. I, I played on the varsity, uh, football team when I was a sophomore. So hanging out with the guys mm-hmm. that are seniors, you mm-hmm. know, and so it, just it always through my life I was. What position did you play? Out. I played tackle. Yeah, my man. Yeah, my man. There we go. <laughs> How do we get another tackle on here? <laughs> yeah, I like it. The little tackles club. Yeah. I'm not in that club. I'm not in that club. In my senior year, I worked uh, in a paper mill on a three to eleven shift, and and uh, so I'd go to school most of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then take off and head for the paper mill, work for a regular real person's job, right. you know. And, and uh, but that got that got old after a while. Yeah. So after high school, you're with the wrong crowd. Um, well, I was in high school. Even I was in the high the school. Yeah, crowd, sorry, yeah. in high school, and especially exasperate. It, it was exacerbated by the death of your brother, the death of your sister-in-law. Take us into your twenties. Like, when was the next move? Like, out out of that part or that season? I guess we'd say of your life. I got drafted, and so I went into the army. Uh, I had already been married, uh, only by six seven months, and um, so the army took me to Fort Knox, and then took me to Fort Polk, Louisiana, and and. To Germany and to Fort Riley, Kansas, and and my relationship with Jackie uh, grew because I didn't have any of my old cronies around there to distract any of it, mm. and and it was just me and her, and uh, so th- that relationship grew a lot. So when I got out of the army, it's like there's no way I'm going back down by Kalamazoo. Uh, those guys, you know, that's going to take me down the wrong road mm-hmm. without a doubt, and I probably won't even be married in another right. year. You know? So I, so so you were drafted. So this is during the Vietnam conflict, but it was it was near the end it of was the near, war, yep. right? Every, so when you were drafted, I think you, I remember you telling me one time there was the r- real possibility that you were going, but then the war started to dial down. So you still were drafted, but you didn't have to go yeah. there. They sent you to Germany instead. Every every Friday, they a company would graduate out of advanced infantry training down there, and the whole company would go to Vietnam. Friday after Friday after Friday after Friday, and the Friday before we. Uh, would graduate out of there, they went to Nam. So we knew, I mean, there's anything that's changed other than the next Friday 
the whole company went to Fort Riley, Kansas, because they had no grunts out there. Hmm. They had captains pulling guard duty and all the stuff that is not allowable, you know. For an officer. That's yeah. right. And, <laughs> and uh, so when we got there, we found out why they shipped us there. But uh, we could have just as easy been wow. one more week that everybody went to Nam. Hmm. So you end up in Germany. So you're married, and you end up in Germany. Now, did Jackie go with you? No. Okay. No, that, the the Germany part of it was war games that we gotcha. played with uh, gotcha. with the Germans over there. Now, this is a total bunny trail, but it's our podcast. I, I want to say I know what your job was in your platoon, but you tell us what your job was in the platoon. Well, once we got... To Fort Riley, Kansas, which was our our my main station after all the advanced infantry and stuff. Uh, this is a, a the Big Red One First Division. That's all mechanized yeah. infantry, and and so we've got tanks and armored personnel carriers and all this. And and I'm looking at the kids that are mechanicing on these and saying, "Wow." Uh, they really need some help because at some point in time, somebody just said, okay, you're going to be a mechanic. You're going to be this. You're mm. going to be that. And so I told my first sergeant, I says, you know, I got, you know, five, six years of pulling wrenches more than anybody here. And uh, he told me to write all my information down. He says, next thing you know, a few weeks later, he says, okay, we got you covered. You are now one of our mechanics. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you're keeping the big red one moving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. And uh, How did so, you meet Jackie? Uh, I met her at a dance when I was just 16. Okay. Yeah. So she stuck with you through all the... Yeah. yeah it's... it's uh, there was a few times that she says, you know what? I think I'm out of here. I'm going to go down to my parents place I just think this out whether or not we're going to stay together mm. and strictly because of me because she's always been a princess you know <laughs> just mm. and just me and my background you know mm. kind of boiling up at different times yeah and, and uh and then one time my drinking led me to uh, Wexford County and the Marble Hotel. And uh, that was probably an event that, that God really uh, threw in my face. And I, I remember clearly sitting there on the slab and thinking that... Uh, this is really not what I want for my life. Hmm. Really do not want to be a drunk that, you know, loses his family, his kids, uh, wife. And uh, so I I made a little deal with God. <laughs> Wait, wait a second. Get me, you get, tried to make deals before. Yeah, How did this one yeah, go? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 
this deal went in a way that, okay, God, you know, this is enough. I, I, I'm not going to get drunk anymore. Yeah, I didn't say anything about the drinking, but just not going to get drunk oh, anymore. Oh, gotcha. You know, have yeah. a beer or something. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and that worked for a while. And uh, one Christmas, uh, excuse me, New Year's Eve day, uh, I was in the logging business then, and and uh, one of my fellow friends that was also in the logging business come to the job and say, "Hey, let's uh, let's go for a ride," you know. And so, well, the ride led to one bar, and it got something to eat and a beer, and, and maybe one more beer, and then to another bar, and. Another beer and another beer and another beer and another beer and another <laughs> bar and another beer. And we were supposed to go out for New Year's Eve, me and Jackie. And so I uh, she, I call her about 7 o'clock, which I we was going to probably already be gone by then. So uh, I'm running a little late. Uh, I'll be coming along pretty quick. Well. I called back about nine or so and said, yeah, I'm still running kind of late, but you'll be home pretty quick. And I could tell the tension was getting starting to build a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't, didn't have enough brain left on me to, to think it should do something about it. So I called about 11 and she wasn't there. She didn't answer the phone. I thought, well, She's not going to wait for me, then I guess I don't have a special time to be home. So I uh, finished up the evening, the night, and some of the wee hours of the morning and uh, started coming up Sherman Hill, probably three maybe a little later in the morning. And uh, as I'm making the old, there used to be S-curves in that. Oh, yeah. Know, and and uh, you got to remember, I've got a pretty good snoot full of alcohol in me, but I, and I'm not sure whether I actually hit something or or God just planted it in me that oops look happened you know what you know whether I rolled off the edge of the road enough to get a little vibration something and I kind of jerked the wheel and got rolling and and I'd say God impressed it upon me that what happened back there? Do you know? Are you with it enough that you might know? Uh, was somebody walking alongside of the road? New Year's Eve. It was only about four or five months before that that um, a guy was leaving a Halloween party from down by Luther 
and somebody else was on the leaving the same party mm-hmm. when they ran over him because he was walking home. He was too drunk to drive, so he was walking and uh, killed him. So I'm driving back towards Buckley, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I can see my life where I'm going to spend some time in prison here. But I also couldn't cope with the idea that maybe they're just hurt laying in the ditch or something that, and that because I didn't turn around and go back and take them to the hospital or something, they died because of me. Mm. And so it, it seemed like it took 45 minutes you go to the top of the hill and probably a mile and a half or two down the road before I turned around and came back. It didn't, but it, it felt cert- that way. It yeah. felt that way, yeah. you know, and, and I searched up and down that hill and I couldn't even see where I, you know, hit a rabbit or anything, you know, there was no tracks, no nothing. And so I'm thinking, well, we're good. And then I'm thinking, I'm going back home, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not. You know, maybe this, maybe, maybe I did hit somebody. Maybe somebody behind me stopped and picked him up and turned around and headed for the hospital. I don't know, you know. And uh, so it just it just kept haunting me. Just kept haunting me for for weeks, you know, and uh, and I decided, well, you know, the only way to solve this from ever happening again is quit. Hmm. You know, just, just I got to quit drinking because I just proved to myself that you know, one here, one there wasn't didn't work for me, and I found that. When I quit, I I had to quit everything. I mean, I had to quit friends uh, because a lot of those friends I found that were hmm, no longer friends when the beer ran out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. they were less than skin deep friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I even had a friend that I grew up with that went to school with. We... In that whole time period, when I was an alcoholic, was drinking every weekend. Um, he called me up one day and says, "I I'll be there, you know, one Friday Saturday night." And says, "I'll be there in an hour, you know, over by Cadillac. And we'll go out, you know." And I said. Uh, no, probably won't, you know, but yeah, I'm glad to see you. I'd be, you know, thrilled to see you again. And so when he got there, he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, so when he got there, he came in and, and, uh, to the shop and says, how much longer for you? You know, we can get out of here and get going. And I says, well, I'm not going to get going. I said, I've quit drinking. And he laughed and, and he had, Every bit of right to because you know, with my 
track record. Uh, yeah, he's as, thinking, how long is this going to last? Yeah, yeah. he says, yeah, yeah this is going to last till 5.30. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, um, and I said, no. I says, uh, well, I probably have to back up a little bit. When I was on the slab there, I told God that I wanted to do mm. something different, you know, and that uh, and Pastor Rogers was here at the time. and Here, I, here at the tabernacle. Yeah, right? he, yeah, was, yeah. he was pastor, and, and of course we lived right kitty corner over here where um, we was, you know, he'd walk past every time I was outside doing something, it seems like he'd be walking back and forth. And, and uh, so the next day or so after I got out of uh, Wexford County and and uh, started to uh, think that I needed to do something different with my life, he stopped and he says, uh, and I'm certain my wife probably had something to do with it, but I know there was, <laughs> I know there was a lot of prayer, so if nothing yes, else, sir. God yeah. tapped him on the shoulder and says, this is the day you need to stop. And, wow. And uh, he invited me to come, you know, and I said, boy, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do that. You know, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Oh, mm. oh, so you're one of these guys that thought the church, ch- you, you thought the church would catch on fire if you walked in the door. <laughs> it, would, it would fall down because the great uh, sinner, Larry Cade, had walked in. <laughs> that's uh, pretty close. Oh, yeah. pretty close. And yeah. that, that I just thought, no, I, I. I, uh, I just can't do that yet. You know, I just, uh, I'm, I, I got to get my life in better shape before I can walk through those doors. And he, <laughs> and he kind of chuckled and he says, no, that's the only way you're going to get your life in better shape is by walking through those doors. Mm. And, uh, and I says, yeah, but I'm, I, you know, and I don't know whether maybe, um, maybe the philosophy of the church, uh, it got worse than that mm. after Pastor Rogers left, but, you know, it seemed like anybody that went to church was really good people. And I know I wasn't mm-hmm. good people, mm-hmm. you know, maybe wanted to be better than I was, but. So I just felt like, you know, why go there and and be a loser? Mm. You know, so it was, uh, and I know, and I I recognize that you got Satan over here whispering in Mm -hmm. your ear, don't do this, you know, you're going to screw things up. You're not going to enjoy life when you start walking through that door there. I mean, it's got all the restrictions in the world that's going to go on you. You won't even hardly be able to breathe mm. when you walk through that after you walk through that door. And uh, so Satan's yeah. talking fast and furious. And uh, but I had a lot of people praying for me then too. And and uh, finally started walking through that door and and. Uh, Realized that God had a bigger plan for me and and wanted me to have a more abundant life than 
what I was, the road I was going down. Uh, did that definition of abundance change for you? It did. Yeah. What was it that kind of, cause I think that's one that often, especially in the context that our church is in kind of this blue collar culture, the idea of abundance is stuff that we compile and, and, and different aspects. It's like that where I grew up as well. So what was that shift? Like where you say God wanted you to have an abundant life. What was that? Well, if you, if you take just the, the joy of life, uh, prior, my joy of life was either drinking, but which really wasn't the joy of life. It was the drowning, mm-hmm. you know, of life to put your mind in a, in a mindset that, you know, yeah, everything is really good. Well, mm. it isn't really good. Your wife's thinking of leaving you and, you know, maybe lose your kids and, and, you know, could lose your job and a lot of other things, you know. So that that's, you know, that's such a lie that Satan keeps whispering in your ear. And, and, and I don't have any question about the fact that, uh, Alcoholism is a disease. I mean, it it is something that um, it, it would be like trying to um, fix your heart mm-hmm. and not go to the doctor. And and, and how how's that going to happen? How are you going to get a, a valve job or something else if you yeah. just keep saying no? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and just. Right. Hope that I get better, but it ain't going to happen. And uh, and I've seen so many people that that have tried to quit drinking, and just to circle right back around to it, just as I had done. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have, if, if you're not going to AA, if you're not. The number one thing you gotta do is first of all you gotta you gotta clean the slate with all your friends because the friends that you've developed when you're drinking are gonna tear you down. You know they say you'll be the average of your closest five friends. Yeah, there's no question about that. So if you got five friends and they're all drinkers, how do you think you're gonna pull out of that? You'll be the middle drinker. That's that's the best you're going to get to. And uh, so, uh, you, you got to clean house. You got to you got to quit the drinking. You got to find new friends that um, have a more common goal for life. Right. And in life, um, you don't. When you have that, I drank so much that I used to actually measure distances like, oh, yeah, that's about a six-pack away. Wow. So I know it, some guys that that's how they measure how long it takes to mow the yard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Same idea. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and Satan is, Satan's right there. He's, yeah. he's yeah, I got you. I got you, buddy. Yeah. So- it was Pastor Rogers that first invited you to church, and you started coming to the tabernacle when he was still the pastor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, 
was there a moment like you and Jackie, I'm sure, because I know Jackie, and she's probably just, oh, answer to prayer. She's so excited because you're finally there. And you've said it didn't all happen at once, but was there a moment when uh, the lights came on um, for you to become a Christian or to feel like you'd become a Christian? Or had that happened earlier, do you think, you know, you're talking about the marble slab moment. Was it there or was it later when you were in church or kind of? Can you put your finger on it? I, I, I think it was a, a growing process that mm-hmm. that sometimes you have to look back really to see how far you've come from. Mm. Yeah. You know, if you look forward, it's like, wow, I don't measure up. Yeah. You know, and, and as long as you keep looking forward to like, oh, look at them. I mean, they're really great people. Look, they do everything right, and I'm still a loser. You know, you you can get depressed mm-hmm. yeah. with where you are if you're using that measure of always looking forward because there's always going to be somebody mm-hmm. that's better. You know, it's somebody that's more successful in their life, in their journey with Christ. Or at least it appears that it's that uh, way. Yeah, yeah. It appears know. that way. Yeah, and and I don't, I don't see that. Well, Pastor Rogers, that was one of the things he he pushed me in order to get me to come through those doors. He said, yeah, "Think about your son. You know, you love your son." I said, "Yeah." Well, he's not very old. You know, what about when he poops his pants? you still love him? When he does something wrong, when he breaks something, do you still love him? Do you uh, say, no, you know, I ain't putting up with that kid no more. He's crapped his pants 20 times in the last week. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, he's a baby. And, <laughs> and so he says, your, your, your walk with God is so similar. For some people, they didn't go through life like I did. That life was much more normal for them, and and what they considered, you know, a sin was. I don't know. They ate somebody's candy bar instead of telling them that they ate it. They just <laughs> turned their head on it or something. Yeah. But, yeah. But they didn't have the sins piled up like I did. But I, I, I still feel that you know God says you know we all come mm-hmm. short mm-hmm. of the glory of God. He doesn't say, well, most of you are okay. I'm going to let you pass. Some of them are, you know, you're trying, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether I'm going to let you in or not. No, it's all of us. Yeah, and uh, and so. Uh, I just, uh, I, I had so much of that and and I probably analyzed things too much. And at that point in time, I let Satan's whispering in my ear, you know, so no, I got to wait until I'm good before I walk through those doors. Mm. Well, you ain't going to get there mm. and you're not going to fix that heart. You're not going to fix a broken arm. You're not going to fix whatever mm-hmm. if you're not even going to go see the doctor. Mm. And uh, so I, I 
started down that road and and he just he made that point about you know your your son's still your son and you still love him and he screws up and he's going to screw up and he's going to keep screwing mm-hmm. up he's going to keep making mistakes you know do you quit loving him after the 10th mistake or the 20th or the 100th and 20th or the 1020th what you know you still love him mm-hmm. and and you're going to guide him you're going to direct him you're going to try to bring him down the right path and that's what he was doing for me and and so he he opened the door for me to be able to say okay I uh, I'm a babe in Christ, and I'm not perfect at all, but he still wants me. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that gave me that opportunity to tell Satan to buzz off because <laughs> I, think, mm-hmm. I think he's got a better way for me. And that's mm-hmm. that abundance. Was realizing that, yeah, man, that's so good. I love this church so much. I mean, church. I mean, you go to some other church. I mean, you don't have people that have been doing it for a long time. And I think that for anybody out there that's listening, that's young, find somebody that's been doing it for a minute. Because I'm sitting over here. You are blessing me, bro. We're not even done yet, and you are blessing me. This is incredible. Thank you. So that's, I'm just fanboying right now on Larry Cage. You can fanboy, yeah. <laughs> bro. They, you you haven't even. Okay, okay. So let me fill in some gaps for my man Britton Bishop. So. uh when I met you, I think I was uh, 18 or 19 years old. was probably the first time I shook your hand. I'd started dating this girl named Darcy Kuhn, who was uh, uh, the daughter of Dennis and Pat, your neighbors at this point, um, some of your best friends. Mm-hmm. You guys are all hanging out. And uh, so I'd come to the tabernacle. And over the years, as I got to know you and I got to know your family, this was the family that had all the snowmobiles. My first snowmobile experience was on a Cade snowmobile before I married Darcy, right? Then I'd come visit again, and in the backyard, you hear this, bap, 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 bap. <laughs> all of them are into motorsports, right? So uh-huh. she, he's got two psychopathic sons at this point. <laughs> the youngest one is putting me on a dirt bike. I don't even know how to ride a motorcycle. He's maybe eight and doing jumps, right? <laughs> I'm talking about Jamie and Jeff. Uh, you race cars. When you say abundant life, yeah. this guy's raced the circuit around <laughs> here. That's what he does for fun is Cade racing, yeah. right? So he's still living on the edge. Right. He didn't suddenly become church mouse is yeah, what I'm d- trying to say. It didn't get boring when you yeah. started following no. Jesus. No. no. I, uh, you, you, can do, you can do so much and enjoy life so much and, and uh, not do anything that's going to hurt somebody else mm-hmm. or or yourself i mean it's just well i guess could get hurt yourself. well yeah i mean <laughs> I, I mean I've, I've heard there's a little bit of a racing reputation that you know that that's not rubbing that's racing I've right told, there's some paint that's come off i told my one dirt bike story here at the tab and it was not a not one of a victory on my oh, the river so, you crossed yeah the river <laughs> yeah you crossed the river. river so so <laughs> over those years so so now you and jackie you're you become a part of the church. Your kids become a part of the church. You got three kids. Um, uh, there's this huge gap where I don't know from the man that quit drinking and the man who dared to walk through the you know the front doors of the church, and then that became regular. To I remember sitting upstairs in a in the 
what was called the fellowship hall, which is now our offices here in T1. And you're leading a Sunday school class with a Bible open and a bunch of men. I mean, when did you become Bible reading Larry Cade? You know, uh, that's a far cry from the Hellraiser, you know, from Jackson. Like, what was that process like for you? Was it easy? No, everything with me has been a process. I mean, some people can say, uh, and bless their hearts, I mean, I'm thrilled when somebody says, October 22nd, Mm -hmm. 2001, that was my time. Mm -hmm. I know right then God saved me, and, and my life changed completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm thrilled for every single person that can do that. My life needed so much change that um, if I would have been told everything that I had to do, I'll use the word to be perfect, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> uh, that's probably not the right word. Right, but, right, right. Uh, I, I probably never would have walked through the doors. Right. So, so I think I know you well enough to say, you're not saying these are all the things that I had to change in order to be a Christian. At some point in there, faith happened. There was faith in Christ for his grace, but God had a laundry list of things that he wanted to do in you to give you that abundant life. He had so like, a laundry list yeah. that he had to do to me. To yeah, one hundred percent. So John John ten ten says, "I've I've come that you might have life and have it to the full." And so this full life that you know, if we go back years, you were going to try to live a full life by the age of twenty and then check mm-hmm. out. And now God said, "Okay, I'm going to show. You, I'm going to actually give you the desires of your heart." And what I'm hearing you say is, if you would have known all the stuff God was going to change it would have probably been overwhelming. Right. So it wasn't like all these things that you had to change in order to get God to love you, going all the way back to what Pastor Rogers said, is, yeah, your son, you're not going to discard him just because he doesn't know what a full life looks like yet. He's still in a diaper, right? Right. And so that kind of with that on your mind, you just kind of venture out there, right? Yeah, and it's just, it's a growing process. I mean, it just, for me, I mean, it was, okay, you know, even my language, even mm-hmm. everything, you know, I said, whoops, uh, I shouldn't <laughs> have said that, you know, and, and, but it was a process, you know. Right. Uh, I had a fairly foul mouth. And so it was, uh, it, at first it was like, oh, I said that and uh, probably wasn't the right thing to do. And then it got to the point where I, started to say it and had to change the word a little bit and, <laughs> and then it, you know it, it just it, it kept the needle kept moving mm. you know and uh and that's the way it's been with me yeah all yeah. my walk you know yeah. it's been okay we're we got this fixed let's let's move a, a little bit further you know let's keep yeah. moving that needle up and then then when we get out of this one, well, you do have about 35 other things here we need to work on <laughs> yeah, too, you yeah. know, and, uh, and, but each time, each, each lesson, mm-hmm. each episode in my life, uh, I felt 
more comfortable. Now, mm-hmm. remember, I was back at the point where God was, yeah, he might be there, but, you know, he ain't done nothing for me because right. I just prayed for 30 days that he'd take my life and trade it for my brother's. And not even a whisper, like, son, I can't do that. Hmm. It's just quiet. And and then the next step of my sister-in-law uh, foolishly being killed. The real ironic part of the whole deal was as both of them was because of drinking. And that's exactly where and you I turned went. right yeah. to drinking. Yeah, and a lot of people do that. They yeah. they turn to drinking to to drown their sorrows, and don't even realize how much more sorrows that they're yep. wow. creating, and and how much further. I had a guy once once tell me that uh, a logger friend that he says, you know. Every single thing I have ever done that I'm sorry for or that I'm embarrassed about, I did when I was drinking. Mm. This is every time. And and uh, so there is, you know, from experience, there there's no pluses to it. Mm-hmm. And you can't you can't enjoy life with a hangover. I mean, you can't enjoy life of the things that you did and you think about what you did last night or whatever and it's next day, you know, and or all the next week or whatever. You just, you know, that stuff keeps haunting you. So as long as it keeps haunting you, the devil whispers in your ear, hey, let's drown out that yeah. haunt. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's, let's, you know, let's get your brain back where, hey, things mm-hmm. are really cool, really yeah. good. You know, far out, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a bad idea on top of another bad idea. Yeah. And when you're lubricated <laughs> uh, or pretty well lubricated with alcohol, uh, it can just lead to, yeah, inebriated, <laughs> it can just lead to more and more. Yeah. So now th- this is actually something that I'm, I'm, and I'm so glad that you said it that way. Um, you know, when I'm saying, hey, where was that point? And this is a man who's been a Christian long enough and is confident enough to say, I'm not one of those Christians, but he's still confident in his faith. Absolutely. Because you said, hey, I'm happy for all those people that can say October whatever, 2021, mm-hmm. that was the day. And, and and there's actually some Christian leaders that drive that home or that point home so much that they'll say, if you can't point to that moment, well, maybe you're not. And they love to use fear. Whereas, you know, as I'm hearing your story, it starts with the tragedy of Jim, right? And then there's anger with God. But then you can see all the way, like I'm writing down here, just like these big benchmarks where, where God's drawing Larry Cade to himself. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can say or think what you want about free will and predestination, all that kind of stuff. That, that is not the point that I'm after. But there is a verse where Jesus said, no one comes to me unless my Father in heaven draws him first. And I don't understand why, and it doesn't seem fair, and I'm not God. But why did the journey of drawing start with the loss of Jim? That, and you, I mean, we can see by your emotion, I felt it right here in the dungeon, that it's still fresh all these years later. But it started there. But then every Friday, a company ships out to Vietnam. If your company shipped out to Vietnam, you could be another 
one of those names on that mm-hmm. long black wall in Washington, D.C. But nope, we're going to go to Fort Riley, Kansas, because some officer doesn't want to pull guard duty, right? Then we find ourselves at the, at the Marble Hotel, right? Th- then there's a deal struck with God, at least in your mind. Right. Don't you love it when we make these deals with God and he's like, <laughs> all right, all right, I, I hear you're calling out to me, but... Then Sherman Hill. I don't think I'm ever going to drive down Sherman Hill again without thinking of that. That something happened there. Was it a rumble strip? Was it a ice chunk? Was it a was it God giving you a rattle? But it shook you awake to the point where a pastor then <laughs> could actually, who your wife may have set up, <laughs> may have. It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. But gets you on this journey. You see, I think that there's times when people instantly make that decision. And there's other times when people take one small step closer and closer to the fire and they keep coming closer to the fire and all of those impurities that God wants to rid us of so we can have life, they get just dropped off each step of the way. Uh, Yeah, at least that's how I say it. So for the listener out there, I'm saying if, if your story's like Larry's story, hey, if you can confess the name of Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. And whether that's a moment or it took, you know, hard-headed guys like Larry a lifetime, I'm messing with you, bro, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. No. I, I was thinking the analogy more me not getting closer to the fire because I was thinking I was getting pretty close to being burned. Oh, no, no, no. No, no I'm talking about a nice little campfire where yeah. Jesus is hanging out. Sorry. Closer and closer to glory, whatever uh, you want yeah. to call it. But I love the pointing to process because it's so many people um, – and especially in culture today, want everything right now. And if I come to church, I want to feel better now. And if I do this and I want to feel better now, and if I don't feel better now, then it must not exist, right? But I love your pointing to the fact that, no, it's a process. And through that process of the churchy ghetto term would be that sanctification process that God is continually working in and through you. And he's bringing you those places of, you know what, now and I say shenanigans, right? <laughs> and, and, and I keep working my way through that process. And I'm sure you would say that you're still – in process, there's still things that, yeah, yeah. That God is doing. I haven't, I haven't arrived, right? You know, and and I I say that a little bit because of days gone by at this church when we were very legalistic, mm-hmm. and it and it really uh, really felt like you know there there are those that's arrived and those that mm. haven't, mm. you know, and. And uh, and I'm so thrilled. Yeah. I've been so thrilled ever since the whole movement has changed. Uh, I was one of the first ones that was in the firehouse with the kids or That's anybody right. else that was new. And I've been right. coming here. I was a church board member. I was, and I was like, no, this is this is life over here. This is mm. we're doing something over here. Yeah. Wow. And. And, uh, you hear that serving with students is the way to find life. Uh, <laughs> well, no, see, see, I, the lights just came on for me right there because I never connected with, without going all in, in, in all the details, cause we don't hurt people. Right. But I've said it from the stage before I've said it in to anyone who's ever comes to merges. There was a period of time where this church almost died. This church was known for what they were against and not what we we're for. Right. And what you had said. You, you just called it what it was. There was a legalism that was setting in. And I also know that you 
because you became a member, you became a leader, you, now you're a respected member of the church, you were on the board. I know that you were one of the leaders in the fight against legalism, but I never understood till this moment why. It's because you'd been an outsider. And what you just said was the rules set up that there are insiders that got their poop in a group, uh, they got everything together, and then there's these outsiders, and the rules make the outside when we're all about the rules, it makes the outsiders stay outside. And right. I never realized that that's why you were such a champion in that role as a board member, I'll say it, fighting against legalism. And there was a lot of conflict that, uh, yeah, hmm. that almost tore this place apart, really. And, uh, and before it got all done, I, uh, I lost some ground. Mm. You know, it's like, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I, I can't be a board member. I can't, uh, I gotta, maybe, maybe I'm being a stumbling block for everybody else. Mm. I just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta back up. I, uh, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm all wrong. Mm. Maybe. Maybe we just need to go to a different church. Maybe we need to do something different because uh, I was not satisfied with the direction that we were going. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, I'll give you one example. Um, Young man went to school here, uh, probably a senior about that time. And and of course, my kids had been going to school, so I, I knew them and I was standing out by the door here, ushering, and and uh, church was getting ready to start, and he's walking along, and so I step out and go out to the edge of the road and talk to him and shoot the breeze with him and say, hey, you know, what, you're not doing anything right now. Why don't you come on in? Oh, I, 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 I can't do that. And I said, why? He says, oh, I'm barefoot. Did you see that? And I says, that, that's the only thing that's keeping you? Yeah, I'm not going in there barefoot. And I peeled off my shoes. I had some loafers on. I says, here, you put those on. I'll go in in my socks. I said, you serious? I says, yeah. You know, just shoes. It's not a big deal. Okay. So I came in. Um and, you know, we sat in the back, and when the service was over, you know, he, of course, he was wearing shorts <laughs> and, and a T-shirt <laughs> and my shoes. Uh-huh. And so we got up and went out, and he gave me my shoes back and thanked me for, you know, caring enough to, to do that. But this isn't about me. The problem I had was the very next week we had a sermon about the proper attire to be worn in the sanctuary. I'm about to swear on this podcast. (laughs) And and that's the kind of stuff that boiled my skin. But but you got to remember, I'm coming from a background where I'm every one of these guys. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, and, and it took somebody really working to get me through those doors 
and the last thing you want to do is slap them in the face and yeah say you need to put on say, pants oh, yeah. yeah if you can't wear a suit and tie next time don't bother to come hmm. you know and it wasn't quite that bad suit and tie yeah. but yeah but, but still. You, you understand what i'm saying yeah. and, and and you know and i at the next board meeting you know it, I don't think Christ would be welcomed at this church because he doesn't have the proper attire on. And I was mad. Hmm. See, that's when you should have tossed some tables like yeah. Jesus did, just Larry <laughs> K. just chucking tables. Uh, Thank you for pounding the table. Yeah. Thank you for pounding the table at that board meeting. See, I think that is what you know, men are always looking for a fight, you know, or they're looking for a mission. They're looking for a cause. They're looking for a purpose. And it, we don't have to go there, but I know those years took a lot out of you as a leader. They did. But I want to, on the podcast, I thank you privately, but I want to thank you on the podcast for leading that fight. Yeah. And I think for me, I mean, I didn't even know this place existed. I wasn't even born yet, but now I'm getting to step into a place to do really cool ministry and we're seeing... Jesus changed lives all the time and we're getting to talk about it on a podcast and it's the people that are willing to hold the line. And so, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we had, we had in the beginning, you had some of the old saints that didn't like the music, didn't like this, didn't like that. And that was even over at Firehouse. Yep. Yep. And it's like 2005. One time yeah. somebody said, how come there's more people going over here? Then there's coming to the sanctuary here. Mm. And I said, for me, it's simple. Because people can come in there and not feel like they're going through those doors. Mm -hmm. The doors that I couldn't, didn't want to go through because I felt yeah. you had to be perfect to go through those doors. But. You could walk in there, you could grab a cup of coffee, mm -hmm. you could sit down in a regular chair, not in a wooden pew. <laughs> wooden pew. And, oh, you're taking me back right and, now. And, and you were, it, it was non-confrontational. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By being there. And, and I wanted to be there rubbing shoulders with every one of them to say, hey, this is the way it really should be. So, so this is this 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 period of time for you, Britain, and and for Benjamin, and for because he wasn't even born yet. I, I think Darcy and I moved here in November two thousand three. Um, I'm fairly certain you and your son helped me unload my moving truck in a snowstorm. I was like, "What in the world? This is freezing." <laughs> that was also when your son Jamie informed me that I was the new soccer coach, and I was like, "Do I get a say in the matter?" And he was like, "No." <laughs> No, because it's vacant and we've already decided. And I was afraid because <laughs> he's bigger than me. Um, but it was about 2006, 2005, 2006. We'd already renovated uh, the village firehouse and turned it into a community youth center. Now it's a food pantry, but it, w it was a community youth center. But on Sundays, we used it for one of our services. So we had the regular service that we had uh, here in what's now called T1. But we had kind of a contemporary kind of doors open. Uh, the the old firehouse doors were open, and um, yeah, there was a period of time where it just shows you how hungry people were for something, and how big of a barrier that not not who we were at the time, but who the church had been maybe in the eighties. 
seventies, mm. eighties, uh, or late, you know, early nineties, um, almost like that. The firehouse was packed on mm. every Sunday morning with new people and people like Larry, not just Larry, but others who wanted to reach out into their community. And pretty soon it was like crickets up, up here in T1 because people wanted to be where life change was happening, awesome. where people were rolling in, some of them barefoot, a lot of them in shorts, t-shirts, especially in summertime. I mean, not yeah. in the middle of November, but I do remember that you and your family were right there in the thick of it. Even yeah. though he's as old as Noah, I mean, he's as old as rocks right over there. <laughs> For the people out there that are going to listen to this someday that's not right now, it's going to be 90 today. And in Northern Michigan, that might as well be 200. <laughs> and so that's why <laughs> your boy degrees. showed up to work in shorts. Hey, you could wear shorts, man. You look good in those shorts. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, but you are also part of that, um, that contingent of folks that had been there through the good times, through the bad times, through the hard times. And from you and your wife, and others, but you and your wife, always supportive of the changes we were making in order to reach more people, whether the paint colors changed, the music style changed, the, the dress style changed or whatever. You have always been, you know, it's hard to imagine you as a cheerleader, but if I could with a couple of pom-poms, you were a big cheerleader for that. And so, yeah, it's always been a blessing for me. Yeah. Uh, just for me, it's, it's been a blessing because uh, to touch as many people today as we do here compared to talking to the 20 or 30, mm -hmm. you know, you're preaching to the choir back then <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you're preaching it, to the choir about how they're dressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do they have the right robe? <laughs> yeah. So, but, it, but it, you know, there, there was no, Maybe I shouldn't say no, but very little of uh, effect mm. that we were having on the outside community. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I say. It was it was in house. Yeah, in in uh, trying to, and maybe that's what I needed for a while. It was just to try to get to be better. You know, because I did. Uh, I was surrounded by those friends. There was a different set of friends that changed my life too. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, God still worked in your life in those times too. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> That's cool. And so kind of those times come firehouse and all that gets started up. You're John's talking about you leading Sunday school and stuff like that. But, uh, God still, I mean, he's been working even in the past year or so and so what does that process look like from transitioning into now the firehouse has begun the church is turning a corner into a direction that is more um more focused on this mission of seeing uh i don't actually this isn't mine to say go ahead and say yeah well yeah. we're talking about changed lives now yeah. we're talking about making disciples yeah. we're about evangelism we're about bringing people who are far from god in yeah and you're right at the forefront of all of that you own your own business. You're well known in the community. You're on the village council now. Yeah, you only, impact a lot of people. <laughs> I, I just read last night on some paperwork that I had in my desk that I'm on the village council now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got on it in 1974. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've been on it for a long time. Right? Awesome. Yeah. That was back before they had rubber tires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're still using wood tires. Yeah. What have you seen change in your community in the past 
30 years. Well, uh, the church in this community has probably been the biggest change of the whole community. Yeah. You know, we've, we've uh, pushed to get a little more light industrial or maybe commercial, you know, on the, on the village council and, and to get, um, different services for the village, you know, having a hardware when we didn't have one, having a, uh, propane company mm-hmm. when there wasn't one, we, we set it up so that, uh, we made it very advantageous for a business that we didn't have, mm-hmm. uh, to come in and get property and get started building. And, um, and, and so it's, you know, it's been a, a growth, you know, not by leaps and bounds, but when the church changed directions and uh, just God has blessed this church almost beyond belief Amen. that it's possible. I mean, how do you how do you take a, a church in Buckley that actually has twice as many people that there is in Buckley. What's the population of Buckley? Come into it. About 700. Yeah. We're about seven, 800 now, Buckley. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and just the Buckley campus, there's more folks that attend than are in the town. Yeah. And then we got Manistee going. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we talked way back in February, we hadn't seen you and Jackie for a while. You took a little bit of a was it a sabbatical or did you, was there a pandemic that will not be named that, because you let some honestly, 25 year old get up there and his pants were, his ankles were out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. You got the COVID. I got the COVID. And you got it bad. Uh, I, I got it really bad mid September. Uh, of 2021, come, right? Of 2021. Yeah. I, I had come home from uh, logging expo up to uh, Escanaba on Saturday night and uh, Saturday evening, and and uh, Jackie had sniffles and stuff, but nothing real big deal. I just thought it was a cold. Uh, she had a friend from uh, downstate that I stood up in their wedding, and he stood up in mine, mm-hmm. and and uh, longtime friends, and she said, I'm coming up to be with Jackie to hang out with her uh, while you're gone. Just a fairly common deal mm-hmm. that that would happen. And and uh, and Jackie says, well, you know, I don't feel real good. I got a cold or something. She said, I don't ever get sick. I'm coming. I don't care. Um, so when... Uh, just before I left, uh, Jackie's brother and sister-in-law both went into the hospital the same day. They One went in with a heart attack and the other one went in with a stroke on the exact same day. Um, I won't get into the political side of it, mm-hmm. but uh, it strange things can happen. Um. So she went down because wasn't sure whether or not, you know, they were going to make it, uh, whether he was going to die of a heart attack or whatever right there on the bed or whatever, and got down there and 
And when she came back, she had picked up COVID while she was at the hospital. Mm. And so she, uh, when I got home a few days later, um, she was nice enough to give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) And her girlfriend from for years uh, ended up with it too. Mm. Uh, That Saturday evening, uh, her friend, our friend, uh, we talked together, prayed together, laughed together, cried together. And uh, Sunday morning, she went home after coming to church and uh, about Monday or Tuesday I'm thinking this is a lot more than a cold this isn't I'm feeling really bad oh so you so you know you'd already had it but you didn't realize you had it at that point yeah yeah I didn't know I had it until a couple days after yeah the weekend and and it's like I never had a cold start attacking me like this and so uh we ended up uh taking whatever was available and and uh moving along and and uh next week come along and you know things weren't getting any better and and uh, i was able to get Jackie, some ivermectin, and she all of a sudden, within about 30 hours, was turned around, headed in the other direction where she was coming back. And and uh, so I tried to get some, and wasn't any available right at that point in time. Uh, the government had made it kind of hard mm-hmm. to get it. Didn't, they didn't believe in it. And... Uh, so by Friday, I was finally able to actually get my hands on some again, and and uh, but by then I'd had COVID for two weeks, or within a day or so of it, and uh, um, I couldn't breathe. I was uh, watching oxygen levels, and they were kept going down and down and. Um, I was up all night, Saturday night, just trying to breathe. You know, I just, I, I felt that if I closed my eyes, that would be it Hmm. because I had to work. I literally had to get a breath of air. It was like trying to breathe through a small straw. And, uh. By about five o'clock in the morning, I woke Jackie up and I said, you, you better take me to the hospital because I don't, if we wait much longer, you won't have to worry about it. My oxygen levels were down in the low 80s and, um, you know, that's the point where you start not thinking like you should. And, and uh, so I got up there and... And I couldn't walk eight feet without having to stop and try to catch my breath. You know, it was just, it was that bad. And uh, from the car to where the emergency, they have a guy out there like at the courthouse, mm-hmm. you know, afraid that you get, you're carrying pistols oh, yeah. and guns. You've got security you got to go through. <laughs> yeah. 
And so he's hollering at me, put your stuff in in the basket, put your stuff in the basket. And I'm just saying, I, you know, I can't do this. You know, I just walked like 20 some feet yeah. without stopping. I, I'm totally spent. I don't have anything in me. And I'm, I'm looking for a place to land because I'm, You're I'm going to go down yeah. here any second. And, and, uh, by God's grace, a young man, a male nurse or whatever he was, he come up to me and says, are, are you here because of COVID? And I just, I couldn't breathe. I just like, yes. And he turned around and grabbed a wheelchair and threw me in that wheelchair. And we were going just about on a mad run. And, and, uh, when we got, uh, to the COVID room outside of emergency there, the special mm-hmm. rooms they had for COVID, um, there was a nurse already gowned up, ready to go, got me in there. She's, you know, plugging anything, everything into me and, and checking vitals and, and, uh, getting oxygen on me so I could exist. And uh, within three minutes or so, the doctor was in there. Wow. And he in says, an emergency okay. room? In, in an emergency. <laughs> That's a and, record. <laughs> and, and, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, uh, I truly felt like The God said, hey, guys, you need to fix this guy. And I'm dependent on the nurses and the doctors. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Huh? You guys need to get her done here. I don't know why. Yeah. But it just, it felt like, I've said before, it felt like, you know, I was the president of the United States coming, not necessarily hmm. Biden, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's legal. One yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like that the whole way. I mean, I got up to my room and, hmm. and they're giving me stuff and, and my, the regular doctor, not the emergency doctor, he comes in there and sits down next to me, pulls a chair right up to the next to my bed and says, okay, this is what's happening I'm going to give you this for this, this for that, this for this here, and this for that. We're going to get you better. And wow. when he left, uh, nurses started coming in with different medications and stuff. And and the nurse, uh, I said to the nurse, I says, you know, I, 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 I've never seen a doctor like this. I mean, this guy is... If nothing else, he's got the best bedside manner yeah. of any doctor I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And and they they said, No, he's better than that. He is the best one we have here. He says he is great. He says just he's the best. And I says, Well, no, thank God I got the best. Yeah. Because it wasn't only a few days later that uh, Jackie's 
uh, friend that came mm-hmm. uh, died in the Kalamazoo Hospital. She went back, and after a week or 10 days, she finally says, I got to go to the hospital. And she sat there for four or five days, and they wouldn't give her so much as a vitamin and give her anything. And her sisters are saying, why, why can't you give her stuff? She said, well, it's not going to do any good. She's either going to get better or she isn't. Hmm. And, and, and it was such a, an example. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm treated like I'm somebody, you know. Hmm. I ain't nobody. But I've just, I got the best nurse, the best emergency doctor, the best regular doctor. The guy that got you past security? Because you said you felt, yeah. like you told me in church, you thought you might die right there at security. I mean, yeah, if that guy I, wanted to do a full pat down and be Mr., you know, empty your pockets guy, you could have keeled over right there. Yeah, Except kept, for some other guy just said, no, I, you know, yeah. He kept hollering at me, just put your stuff in the basket. Put, I'd say, yeah. Can't. You know, and, and I'm, and I am, I'm truth. I, I'm looking for a place to land, you know, just fall right flat on the floor here. Is there a chair I can sit down mm-hmm. in? Is there something? Because I'm done. I, I, I can't, mm-hmm. uh, I can't go no more. I can't deal with this. I, I just, I'm done. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Young man comes up to me and says, "Are you here because of COVID?" Yeah, and 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 from there all the way through that whole time in the hospital, that five days to get where I could breathe enough to be able to leave, it was like everybody was just perfect. Everybody mm-hmm. just you know cared. Everybody was right there. And and as we had talked before, I I know there's there's people that lost loved ones at the same time. I I don't know why I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't yeah. go to. Wasn't anything special about me that the only thing that I keep thinking off and on and over the years to every different episode in my life that I've said several times if I had to go through this to get where I am now. I'd do it all over again. Mm. At the time, it was not anything that was enjoyable. It wasn't enjoyable sitting on the slab Mm-mm. in the jailhouse. It wasn't enjoyable losing my brother. It wasn't enjoyable losing my sister. It wasn't enjoyable thinking about I really could have hurt somebody or killed somebody. 
so many things it wasn't enjoyable. When I was in the wood business, I it, things were so bad that I remember one Monday morning driving to work, and we were on the other side of Cadillac, and and at that point in time, I was working twelve to fourteen hours a day to try to keep food on the table and pay my bills. And I'd wake up in the morning and say, well, if this is really a good day, I'll probably only lose $100. Hmm. If it's a normal day, I'll lose about $500 today. And I didn't have $500. I'd refinanced everything I had, and 90 days later, I'm already behind on my payments. Hmm. And... It was a deal where I was, didn't think I could take any more. Driving along in the rain and just, I, I, I don't know, God, I just, I don't know. I don't think I can take this. I don't think I can do it. I've just. Nothing to look forward to. Burnout because I work in six, sometimes seven days a week, 70, 80 hours a week. Just thinking, of course, the rain doesn't help. It's gloomy, doomy, mm. everything. I remember so much just saying, I don't think I can do this any longer. And we was going up Elevation Hill. I was in my pickup and and crying to God, just telling him, I don't know what to do. Can't, can't do it. And at the top of the hill, the sun comes out. It's a giant rainbow there. And it's like God saying, yeah, I know. <laughs> Listen, you don't have to do this by yourself. I'm right here. Trust me. So a few few weeks after that, I'm at the paper mill sweeping off all the bark and stuff. And, and a guy that I actually bought his equipment out when I went in the wood business, he pulled up with his truck and he's sweeping off. And he says, how you doing? And I said, you know what? For two cents, I'd get out of this business. Okay, I'll buy your truck and trailer there. Yeah, okay. See you later, you know. So the very next night I come home from work and got a phone call. And guy says, hey, I heard you're getting out of the wood business. <laughs> I said, where'd you hear that from? He says, oh, one of the guys came back from the mill. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't 
I don't know nothing about really getting out of the business. You know, I was shooting my mouth off, but they, uh, he said, well, I'll buy a piece of equipment from you. <clears throat> so then the next day I'm at Gene Payne's in the morning and I'm picking up some parts for trucks or something and and I'm telling him, say, yeah, the strangest thing going on here. I uh, I uh, got a guy, I was shooting my mouth off, and this guy calls me up, wants to buy this piece of equipment. Another guy calls me up, wants to buy another piece of equipment. This guy's going to buy my truck and trailer. He says, I'll buy your other truck. And I says, uh, okay. Well, uh, I have to get back with you on that because I, I don't even know that I'm selling anything, you know. <laughs> so I have to back up. The week before on Sunday, I said to God, I can't do this. Just before the Monday morning rainbow. And I said, maybe you... Got something different in store for me because I'm trying to do my thing and mm. maybe this thing isn't the thing you want me to be doing. Maybe you want me to be a missionary in Africa and dear Lord, I can tell you right now, I do not want to go to Africa <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> but maybe that's what you want. But don't forget, I don't want to go to Africa. <laughs> I'll do it, but I don't want to. Making deals again. Making deals. So... By three or four days of the that next week around, I have almost everybody wanting to buy every piece of equipment that I have, Unreal. and not a single one of them asked me how much. Wasn't it you know like, hey, here's a way to rob this guy? You know, here's a deal. I'm going to get. Yeah. He's going down in flames. I'm going to steal something. You're naming your own price, and and so I just called him up and said. Uh, yeah, I think that I'm getting out of the wood business because apparently God doesn't want me here anymore. Mm. He's been trying to tell me, but back to the days where I've been telling him, <laughs> you really need to make this more profitable. I don't think it's a Christian thing to not be able to pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like bong. You uh, told me you'd do something different. Well, I'm opening up the doors. If you can't see this, you got to be a dumber than what yeah, I yeah, think yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I did, and I just, I within a couple of weeks, I'd sold almost everything I had, hmm. and it even got down to I had two very expensive pieces of equipment left over, and I. Uh, Hadn't been using them, advertising, been doing everything I did. I had a, an expensive skitter, and and uh, of course, you know, you start pulling all the pegs out of the wheel. Now the skitter's not going to do anything. I mean, you got to have more than just a skitter, you know. And so, I um, I said to him, "Well, the." The Ford Motor Credit called me up and says, hey, what are you doing with this skitter? And I says, well, I'm trying to sell it. 
said, okay, well, uh, why don't you take it to the dealer? He can probably sell it easier than you can. And all right, I'll, I'll do that. So I delivered it down there. Two days later in the mail, I got papers that said they repossessed it. And I thought, oh, nice, you know. My mother taught me about mm-hmm. finances and credit mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and that was the last thing I wanted to do was screw up my mm-hmm. credit. And uh, so I called them up, and they said, oh, sorry, you know, you're behind, and we need to do something. And he says, you got 30 days anyways. If they sell it for you, it'll be just like, you know, you just had a lot of money, and you said, okay, I'm going to pay it off. So the 30 days went by, and just about two or three days before the end of it, the salesman calls me up and says, hey, I got your machine sold. And praise the Lord. <laughs> the day after the 30 days, he calls me up and says, ah, the guy couldn't get any money. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, man, I just, I can't believe this, and. And so two days later, he calls me back up and says, I found another guy. He's got money. It's a done deal. I said, well, we're already, you know, better share of a week past the 30 days. And so uh, I says, uh, you know, thanks, but, you know, wished it would have worked out so I didn't go down in the flames, you know, with mm-hmm. my credit. And so they paid off Ford Motor Credit and the salesman talks to the rep from Ford Motor Credit and says, hey, you know, we're pretty close to that 30 days. Is there any way you can not show it as a repossession, you know, type deal and and that you, you know, never got paid? And, yeah, we're close enough. Don't worry about it. Britain, that might change your mind about Ford. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, but I, and the last piece of equipment was the exact same deal. Wow. I mean. Uh, so you literally, so you, you have this moment in church where you're like, Lord, what do you want from me? And then we have the rainbow and then this roller coaster ride of random people buying you out and getting you out of th- that deep credit situation. Like, was it clear where you were supposed to go? Not really. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because I had already started Midwest Tractor. Gotcha. And Midwest Tractor was getting busier, but there was no way a regular wage would make the payments right on this equipment. You know, uh, there was $4,000 a month, and I'm not going to make that kind of money, right. especially back then, to In the log to, make, yeah. to live and make a $4,000 payment because it didn't make that much money the whole month anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I've said over and over again over the years that you can't outgive God. Right. And and I'm a true believer of that, that, uh, you know, you, you can, you can tithe, you can, you can, uh, what would I say, maybe cheat God a little bit. And say, oh, you know, I was really thinking I'd like to buy a new motorcycle, and that money would go really good for 
down payment or the payment or mm-hmm. a used one or whatever, you know, uh, and say, you know, I, I really want to use that money for me. But what happens is, okay, now you're not, you're not even given God anything to work with to turn around and bless you with it. And for me, it's, it's, you know, ever since the days of him walking me out, don't forget, this was in the early 80s where the economy was in the mm-hmm. tank. That's right. There was auctions, fellow producers in the wood business were having auctions every month, and they were selling their stuff for about 30, 40 cents on a dollar. Mm-hmm. And they were losing when they got all yeah. done. They yeah. still didn't have enough money to pay off all their bills. And that wasn't the case for me. Wow. Yeah, they didn't have a, much extra, but yeah. <laughs> at least I yeah. paid off all my bills, you know. But I remember from the from the early days of being a lead pastor here at this church, there were two things that I would always hear from Larry Cade in the lobby or the third space with a big grin. First was, it'd be after the sermon, and he still does it. He'll say, hey, not bad for a rookie. (laughs) (laughs) I am 52 years old. I have a grandchild. And sometime in 2022, sometime between Christmas and now we're doing this in May, he has said to me at least once, not bad for a rookie, right? He'll say that. (laughs) And then the second thing that I've always heard come out of your mouth, where we were talking about the big give, or we were, it was a sermon about giving, or a testimony, it's always that statement. You can't outgive God. Mm. And so, you know, as I think about your story and the raw emotion of not just why with your brother, why with Jackie's friend, why with other people within our church, and and we don't know why. That's above our pay grade. But at the same time, see, the cynic can listen and say, well, that just proves that all life is just a crapshoot. And here's Larry and John and Britton who just choose to believe or just put God on fate, you know, just kind of to dress up this eternal crapshoot. And to one whose eyes aren't open to Christ, they might think that. But that fate, if you want to call it, that has hurt you, but that's also preserved you. And for you, it's pointed you towards Christ and not away from him. Because I've heard you say trust. We don't know why with Jim. We don't know why, and there's names going through my head right now of people that we've lost within our church. I do know one thing, though, is all of this begin, even this invitation to be on the podcast, is you said to me after church, I need to give testimony and give glory to God. Can't explain why some answers or some prayers are answered and some are not. That's not the point. The point is, as you said, I need to give glory to God, and you wanted to thank people that had been praying for you. I mean, I'm even thinking about the COVID story. I remember when you got it, and then they said he still got it, and that's when we started praying. I didn't know until later about that about that Saturday night where you felt like you were trying to breathe through a straw. There's tons of people praying for you. They were, and just like you had prayed for your brother, however many, you know, 60-some years ago, we were praying the same way. Um but I know one thing is that you've chosen to trust God and give him glory for what he has done for you, just like that rainbow. And I felt 
you know, I don't know how to explain it, but I just, there was a time there in that first day or so at the hospital that I just, I, I just felt like mm-hmm. I, I can feel these prayers going up for me. Yeah. I just, I, the, they're as real as can be. I just, I know there's people out there praying for me. I know right. there's people that are praying for me that don't even know me. Right. That's right. Just because somebody asked if they would. But it just, it it just made all the difference. And as I looked at how things just fell together there, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, uh, I don't know if I could pay somebody enough mm-hmm. for all those things to happen. Right, right. And but happen you see like how, they're supposed to. You, you see God's hand in that the same way that that made him jump to a story in the 80s about business and finances is in that moment you felt it when you got to the top of that hill when you saw the sun gloomy rainy i can't do this i can't do this and then yeah it's that lifetime of faith pointed in that direction god's been drawing you but now i I see this man you haven't told us how old you are again 71 71 still running after jesus still giving him glory yeah this is a it reminds me of the quote we've said often on the podcast, on the stage, all all over, is that that long obedience in the same direction produces much fruit. And I think that your life could be the picture of that, is that it's just this long obedience. It's a long yes. And it's, I'm going to keep saying it, even though it doesn't make sense. I didn't know. And, and I, I just, I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing that. You've, uh, yeah, like I said earlier, you've blessed, blessed me today. And I think you've blessed a ton of people that have been listening and are listening to this podcast. So thank you so much for sharing that in a real and, and raw way um, and, and ultimately doing it in a way that brings God glory alone. And so thank you a ton for coming and sharing uh, the reels um, from your life and, and from how God has worked um, in the hard times and in the good times. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, It's my pleasure to give God the glory for yeah. it. Yeah. So if you had one bit of advice that you would give all these young buck Christians, <laughs> you know, that you see, uh, 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 you know, can you summarize it in one thing? Hey, how, how, how would a guy who's 71 years old, who's seen both sides of it, who's seen life before Christ, you've seen life with Christ. You've, you've experienced the blessing of Christ and the mystery of why some, you know, just, yeah. What's one bit of advice that you would throw out to somebody? Maybe to even Benjamin sitting right over there in the corner, age 14. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, there's, there's no better way to enjoy life than through the blessings of God. Mm. Um, and I do. I count my blessings. I, count, I get up in the morning and I say, thank you, Jesus that I'm awake and I take another breath because I was at that point Mm -hmm. where we take so much stuff for granted. We take life for granted. We take the food on our table for Mm -hmm. granted. We take the heat in our homes or, you know, we take everything for granted. We don't, it's, it's not until you are losing it such as my business, the income to even mm-hmm. put food on the table, the, and my health, I mean, until you start to lose it, you don't appreciate it. Mm. 
And, and so I would say for young people, really think about all the blessings that you have. You live in a country mm-hmm. that you don't have to worry about being slaughtered or, or uh, well, maybe a little bit, <laughs> yeah, depending yeah. on whether you live in the city or not. You know, but, <laughs> no, but, but generally speaking, yeah, I see what you're saying. And, and then really think about where is these blessings coming from? You know, Satan's not giving away good life blessings. He's whispering in your ear and tell you lies about, wow, you know, if you only had that car, so if you steal it, now you got that car, but there's not much blessings looking over your shoulder all the time. Hmm. Or maybe get shot yeah. running away with it, yeah. such yeah. as a, one of my friends did stealing yep. the motorcycle. Right. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Larry. I, uh, that was awesome. I think of the, the quote, um, comes to mind that your best life is found in full surrender to Jesus because there's so many people that that's kind of the theme of the world we live in today. That is live your best life. Right. And I think that, that your life is a beautiful picture and story of that. Your best life is found in full surrender to Christ alone. And so, yeah, I love that. Thank you. I needed to hear that today. So if anybody else doesn't listen, you spoke to me today. So I appreciate you, man. Yeah, me too. I don't know, man. Well, if you need a tractor, go to Midwest Tractor. I yeah, guess. See, yeah. See, this is the point of the this is the point of the podcast where we that 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 we're angling for uh, sponsorships just by randomly mentioning people. So we've you know we've mentioned different car companies, Bible companies, yep. the Skylar Bible. No. Larry, Larry would look good with a Skylar he Bible would. with some goat skin. Yeah. But we're going to say today, if you need a tractor, Midwest Tractor, that's your place for all of your tractor uh, needs. No free shoutouts. No free shoutouts, but they're available right here in beautiful Buckley. Um, you can get yourself a, a rig, as the insiders might say. You know, yeah. might have I've been to qualify the, that. We don't sell tractors. We sell trucks and trailers and equipment. Rigs, yeah, yeah, rigs, <laughs> equipment, rigs. Very pieces. Very important. Now, oh, I love it. Now, there's something I am because it, listen, I don't believe that they listen to this podcast. Your daughter might believe, or she might listen to this podcast. I don't know. Maybe Jamie does. Maybe Jeff does. But you have two very burly sons. The youngest is a little burliest. He's probably the burliest. I just want to know if the two sons squared off. So Jeff is bigger. He is bigger. I mean, the hand, he's got these hands. He's like, they're not even man hands. They're like gorilla hands that could crush me, right? And then you've got his big brother that's got a little bit more angst, right? Jamie's got a little bit more angst. Jeff's a little bit more laid back, but bigger. So in a scrap, can you call a winner? Or is the winner Jennifer? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jennifer would uh, say, okay, you go sit down there. <laughs> you go sit down there. <laughs> She'd beat them both. Well, you heard it here first. The Jennifer, yeah, she's the she's the oldest, and she'll Love get it. them squared away. Man. Love it. Well, thank you, Larry, again, for coming, for sharing that. And, uh, and for anybody else out there that says, is the podcast hard, I'm just going to send them to you because you showed today that you can show up and tell your story. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. It's and a blessing. thanks for going there. I know that wasn't easy. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, Tab family, until next time, this is Larry, Benji, John, and Britton signing off.